1: Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers podcast network. If you want to hear us riff on movies, The Suicide Squad, Free Guy, uh, Green Knight, and uh, why we don't tell you what we're doing, you need to go check out our pre-show, the Major Spoilers pre-show, that you can get when you become a patron over at patreon.com slash spoilers. So why don't you go and do that right now? In this
3: issue, we investigate the ivory towers of education, literally, with a look at the Black Mage, and Harry Potter will never read the same again. My Hero Academia is going live-action, Avatar is trying again, the Bifrost is going to Asgard, and nobody knows what's going on with Venom. The internet, where we lay our scene, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood make hands unclean, do with their podcast bury major spoilers, and lo forsooth tis on the air.
1: Welcome to issue 939 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. Ashley at her RWJ. And uh, so she's not here this week. But that doesn't mean we can't entertain you. Uh, We've got a lot of stuff to go over, including the Black Mage later in the show. But first, how about we jump into some news? My Hero Academia is getting the live action treatment from Legendary Entertainment, and it has tapped director Shinsuke Sato to helm the project. Sato is responsible for hits like I Am Hero, Kingdom, and Alice in Borderland that you may have seen on Netflix. It's actually pretty disturbing and a pretty good series. This will be Sato's English-language debut. My Hero Academia is based on the manga of the same name and follows the characters battling their way through high school in in a world where 80% of the Earth's population manifests superpowers. And as popular as My Hero Academia is, I would bet if they can do the live-action right, especially... I don't know if you guys have seen Alice in Borderland over on Netflix, but it's really solid. And I can't wait to see a season two on that. Matthew, you got some thoughts on the My Hero Academia live action uh, television series, movie, whatever, whatever it is?
3: I do. And I think what it's really going to boil down to is the fact that your casting is going to be key here. Your casting is going to be killer because the characters, especially, you know, guys like Grape Juice, aren't necessarily humans. Um, So you're going to have to be really, really thoughtful about the casting of who you're going to get to play the main characters, how many of them are going to get in there. I mean, I remember going to see the first Harry Potter movie with a total Potterhead that I had a huge crush on, and she was so disappointed at how much had to be cut to make it into a live-action film. And I'm kind of feeling like the same's going to happen here, but... I also want to see what they do, and I want to see if they can you know really make this work, how you're going to you're gonna to have to cast those kids really, really well, and also you're gonna to have to make sure that best genist is involved.
1: I think the biggest problem that they that they're gonna face is they're gonna to have to really work the live action so that it doesn't just feel like we're doing a shot for shot remake of the animated series, which for a large part was just basically. Let's use the manga as our storyboard and tell the story. Um, there's there's going to have to be some changes going on, otherwise it's just going to be oh well we've seen this all before. I was hoping for something a little different. That that's right. my, that's my concern. So, uh, Venom, let there be carnage has been delayed again. Sony Pictures has announced that due to the pandemic, the next installment of the Tom Hardy Venom series will now open on October 15th, 2021, just about a month, half of a month later than what it was originally scheduled to open. Andy Serkis is directing the uh, film. The 2018 Venom was a quote unquote surprise box office smash generating eight hundred and fifty five million dollars at the global box office, unquote. The sequel stars Woody Harlson, uh, Michelle Williams, Reed Scott, Naomi Harris, and of course, Tom Party. Now, we were talking about this a little bit in the pre-show, Rodrigo, uh, mm-hmm. about uh, why this is delayed, duh, COVID. Um, thank goodness by October, this is all going to be cleared up, and people yeah. can just go about their business as normal on October 15th, everybody. Just mark that down in your can- calendars. COVID gone, October 15th, Sony Pictures said so.
2: By, by October 15th, we can all meet back at the Winchester for a pint, and this will all blow over. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I mean, good. It's good. It's good that they're pushing it back um, because I-, I think partially they're like, well, people aren't going to go to the theaters if there's a, a-, a rampaging COVID outbreak. Um, but but I think more so they're like, I-, I just don't want to pick up like the Miami Herald and says like 500 million cases of COVID tied to uh Venom to uh like opening yeah. day, right? Yeah, like, super spreader event. You don't, want, event. You don't yeah. want the you don't want the virus trackers to or the what is it like contact tracers to figure out that it was your movie that killed the entire population of Boca Raton.
1: Yeah, here's here's the mm-hmm. here's the issue that uh, Sony is in. Uh if you are releasing a Black Widow movie, well, you're Disney. You've got your own streaming service that you can charge 30 bucks a pop to if you're uh, Warner brothers and you want to release Dune, you've got HBO max that you can release that thing to right away. Same way with Paramount plus same way with all the other streaming services. I am not aware that Sony has a streaming service. That is big name that people are aware of that they could do even a simultaneous theater and streaming release at the same time. And so when it boils down to it, yes, it is a COVID issue and we all need to be aware of this stuff, but at the same time, Sony doesn't have any other option. They don't have a streaming service they can push it to where they get to keep, quote unquote, keep 100 percent of the revenue. Now, I realize Disney Plus, they get the money, they pay Disney for it, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but it's all the same. It's all the same bank account. Um, and and the same way with HBO and and Warner Brothers, Sony doesn't have that. So I think Sony's kind of forced into a situation where. If we don't want one of these situations where people call Venom 2 electric boogaloo a flop because it didn't make some imaginary uh, estimate in the Uh. box office opening weekend, uh, they they have to push it. They have to push it because they've got nothing else to do. Now, would I just wait a month and hope everything gets cleared up? My God, no. I mean, this is something that, hey, why don't we just push this to May of 2022 and hope for the best? And if you have to push yep. it until May of 2023, push it to May 2023. Oh. That movie is going to just sit there on the shelf. They did this with, remember, um, what was it? The Cabin in the Woods, that movie, uh, the Joss Whedon movie, it sure, sat yeah, on the yeah. shelf. It sat on the shelf for like two years until Chris Hemsworth uh, became a thing with Thor. And then suddenly they're like, ooh, we better put this out so that we can make money on it. That movie is going to make money whether it sits on the, Venom is going to make money whether it sits on the shelf for for one month or two years. It'll be fine. Now, of course, that affects bottom lines. If you have to come to the end of the year and say, oh, um, uh, Sony, you said you were going to release a movie this year. And how much did you spend on that? And where's the money coming in from that? That's where they that's where they start to feel the pressure. But honestly, set it on a shelf. It'll come out when it's ready to come out.
2: Aged like cheese.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Providing (laughs) that, you know, (laughs) none of the actors uh, pass away before your film release.
3: Aged
2: like beef. Then, of course,
1: you've got another reason to draw more people in.
2: Yeah, I, I, as 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 morbid as it is, that could that would that I would mean, actually help. Look at Batman. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, uh, let's see. The cast of the live-action Avatar: The Last Airbender series on Netflix has been revealed.
0: <gasps>
2: Here we go. Gordon Cormier, mm-hmm. Kia Wentio, mm-hmm. uh, Ian Ousley, and Dallas Liu have all joined the series. Cormier se- "Stars as Aang," and Kia Wentio said to play Katara, Ausley will play Sokka, and Lou will play Zuko. Original series creators Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko were originally attached to create the series for Netflix, but they announced in August 2020 that they were no longer involved. They have since announced a new deal with Nickelodeon to establish Avatar Studios, which will create new animated series and films set within the Avatar universe.
1: I'm good with this. I took a look at uh, at the pictures of all of these uh, young actors and actresses. I'm fine. Not yeah. that I really have a say, because it's all uh, the, the studio's decision who they cast in this. I don't know. I'm sure the internet is erupting in, in heated fervor, saying, Oh, this one's not bald enough, or this one doesn't have the angst that I want in this character.
2: This so kid what is, doesn't even have facial scars. What is interesting is that, reportedly... The the creators of the original, um, uh, DiMartino and Konietzko, left the Netflix project because they had stipulations about the cast. They had stipulations mm-hmm. that said that they wanted to cast people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if uh, the boy who's playing Ang is like what his ethnicity is, but I'm pretty sure everybody else is a person of color.
1: And yeah, I think they. Too. I think they all are. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, I mean, just by looking, I can say, oh, this person probably has this ancestry in them, but. um,
2: So my, yeah, my guess is what happened was uh, they said, we'd like to cast people of color for these uh, characters. Uh, The streaming service said, no, thank you. You guys can leave. They left. And then everybody jumped down Netflix throat and was like, what do you mean you let them go? And over this, what the heck, man? Uh, mm-hmm. So they ended up doing it anyway. And now I would not be surprised if these like avatar studio stuff ends up on Netflix anyway. Although. Oh, I'm sure it is. Unless they're like somehow connected to Paramount Plus. Yeah. Which yeah. I don't think they are. I
1: mean, According
3: it's Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon so that's uh, Filipino
1: Canadian. So uh, Nickelodeon is uh, Paramount. So yeah. Paramount oh, okay. Plus so
2: stuff. so that's probably heading to Paramount Plus. Then. Yeah. 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 Well, you, know, you know what I say.
3: You oh, what, what do you say? Studios universe. You know what we need? The Legend of Varric and also Julie.
2: I, I we mean just need I, a whole Varric series. That 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 would be good. I, I would argue that a, a couple seasons of chorus started to feel like the legend <laughs> of Varric. The Varric show. I love the yeah. Varric show. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. He's a good kid You know what her. you could call it? What? Varric does the
3: thing. Yep. And then every week he can do a different thing. You know, like captain kangaroo used to travel around the universe and put out forest fires and, you
2: know, fight Cybermen and stuff. Definitely. A, a variety show would be, would, would be best. I think for a, a Varric based show. Yeah.
1: Like, uh, what was it? Pink lady and, uh,
2: Pink lady and Jeff,
1: Jeff, Jeff. Yes. That's, that's the what The Brady can be. Bunch
2: variety. <laughs>
1: yeah. Pink lady and Jeff. There you go, Matthew. Yep. Go go pitch that. Why why don't you wrap up our new segment for us?
3: I will. Autobots, transform to Queen's Rook 5. Eagle Moss has announced a new chess set based on the original Transformers animated series. For $600, fans can lead Decepticons or Autobots as they battle for the fate of the world on, you know, 64 squares of grid. I don't know. I, I don't really know how chess works. I think a knight goes in an L. And then a bishop goes sideways. Anyway, the Kickstarter campaign is running till the end of September. They're looking to raise three hundred thousand dollars. Currently, they're sitting at about—if my math is right—twenty percent of that. It's sixty grand. That's uh, that's
1: only like a hundred complete sets. I know, but right? even it's, so, or, yeah. So I, it's it's a little pricey. But it got me thinking. You remember the, what was it—the Franklin Mint or whatever used to have the, the Civil, War, Civil War, chess. War chess set, where every month you got like one or two figures. For where 90, over ninety
3: five a month, yeah.
1: So uh, take that times what twenty forty characters or whatever it is. So I'm sure it's the kind of the same, the same thought process. I'm just curious if there are enough. Uh, I mean, we see campaign. Speaking of Avatar, uh, the Avatar RPG blew through its its first blew through its goal on the first day. We're yeah. now three or four days into this Eagle Moss thing, and they haven't even gotten close to that. So maybe they have something coming up on the back end. I just I know people like novelty things, but I just, I just wonder what's going on here.
3: I'm saying it's a horrible idea,
1: but I could think of other, uh, other things that I could spend my $600 on.
3: There are a lot of Transformers fans in the world, and there are a lot of hardcore Transformers fans who would be willing to drop six large on a chess set. The question it's really going to become, are there enough? We're going to know about this and get involved in this. Because well, there you mean, go.
1: Major spoilers. Doing a service to help promote Eagle Moss, who we will never see a dime from, in this yep. n- news segment slash advertisement.
3: Just get me a king of Optimus Prime. Yeah. So if you, if
1: I don't know if you've CD-RC. looked at all of the, I don't know if you've looked at all of the uh, the set pieces. So no. here, here's the uh, set pieces uh, for the Autobots. Optimus Prime is the king. Uh, mm-hmm. Alita One is the queen. Ultra Magnus Bishop, Grimlock Bishop. A uh, hot rod knight, mm-hmm. Springer knight, Ironhide rook, Ratchet rook, RC Blue streak, Bumblebee jazz, Prowl sideswipe, Sunstreaker, and Wheeljack are all the pawns. Wow. On the Decepticon side, we have Megatron king, Starscream queen, sure.
0: uh, <laughs> Sky <laughs> Skywarp
1: bishop, Thundercracker bishop. Uh, Knights are Shockwave and Soundwave. The rooks are Astrotrain and Blitzwing, and then we have. Brawl, Frenzy, Laserbeak, Ravage, Rumble, Scrapper, Shrapnel, and Thrust are your pawns.
3: Wait, Brawl? Yeah. Brawl.
1: That's what it says. Uh, (sighs) That is what it says.
3: The thing about Brawl is Brawl is part of a team of five. He's one of the combiners that turned into Bruticus. So having Brawl
2: without his other dudes,
3: just... Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's another thing. Is like It would make sense for the pawns to be the Constructicons or whatever. Right?
3: Well, and I yeah. mean, you have eight pawns on the board. There are only oh, five yeah. Constructicons. That's true. But even so, you know, I, I, I'm down with uh, everything, pretty much everything uh, but the Rooks on the Decepticon side and Brawl. But yeah, I mean, if, honestly... This is the thing. If I didn't still consider $600 to be car money, I would totally go all in on this because I think it would be great, but I don't play chess. Yeah. So man, it would, like, it would literally be another collectible that sits in my house. And I'm just like,
1: well, I'm, 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 I'm very curious to know of the people who bought the civil war chess set or the star Trek chess set or the star Wars people. chess set or the, uh, DC chess set. Uh, for those of you that have bought those in listening, can you tell me how often can you write to us podcast at majorspoilers.com and let us know how often you pull that civil war chess set off the, off the mantelpiece and, and play it with, uh, you know, or your star Wars, your star Trek or whatever one, cause they all had their own uh, chess sets. Uh, yeah. Drop, drop us an email at podcast at majorspoilers.com or You can join the conversation about these stories and more over on our Discord server. You can join the Discord server for free. There is a link in the show notes. I'm not going to read you out the address because you'll never remember it. By the time you rush to your computer, just open up your show notes for this episode. It's right there. Just click on it. It'll open up Discord. You can get in there for free and have fun with everybody and talk about this show or a lot of the other things that are going on in the comic book, television, movies, sports ball, uh, art. I forget what else. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. and RPGs. RPGs. RPGs, right? Yeah. There's also secret channels. Now, you may be asking yourself, wait a minute. Did you say a secret channel, a secret Discord channel? How, Stephen, do I get access to this? Well, dear listener, here's how you do it. You become a patron over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. I believe it is the silver level membership and higher. You get access. You can connect your Patreon account to your Discord account. And when you go into the major spoilers Discord, there will be bonus channels where you can uh, talk about critical hit a week early. You can go in and, and partake in the VIP live chats each month. Uh, you can go in and listen to the dueling review podcast live that we record Thursday nights at eight o'clock PM. Uh, you can also be part of the GM Roundtable and a whole lot more. That's uh, the perks of being a patron. So go to patreon.com slash major spoilers and sign up today. We're going to jump into some reviews real quick. I probably have the most disturbing comic that you will read this week. It is Eat the Rich number one from Boom Studios. Sarah Gailey and, and Pius Bach uh, are the uh, the creators on this. This is a girl who is obviously not filthy rich, who's coming home for the summer question mark. I think it's the summer. She's coming home with her boyfriend, Aster to uh, Crestfall Bluffs, where she's going to meet the family and hang out with, the rich people for the entire summer. And of course she's going through all of these extremes of, you know, what, Im, you know, how are they going to uh, think about me? What are they going to think about me? Um, what, uh, you know, how do I act? And then of course she gets there and the filthy rich have people working for them nonstop. And, uh, you know, she tries to, you know, talk to some of the help or interact with them. And she's brusquely told you do not talk with the help. And, uh, but the one thing is, these families really, really do love and appreciate uh, their servants. In fact, when it comes time for them to move on, when it comes time for them to retire, they hold a huge gala, a huge gala for the retiring people, whether that be the old gardener in the case of, of this issue, or whether it be a babysitter that is done doing her service for uh, the, the child rearing part. Uh, they have a big banquet. And that's where things get really, really dark and disturbing. Can't say I didn't see it coming. Uh, There's a lot of visual cues leading up to the big reveal of what is going on here. Um, I'm not a fan of this kind of story uh, and this kind of stuff that is going on, but I'm hoping that the title eat the rich kind of uh, comes back upon uh, these people, uh, the rich people of this, of this community. I will be very interested to see if that happens there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing in this comic that you haven't seen in a million other comic books. Well, maybe a million a little exaggerated, but maybe not. Uh, seven
3: other comic books.
1: Well, I can think of seven other comic books off the top of my head. All of them have zombies in it. Um, but I I think that you probably ought to be prepared for, you know, a little bit of a twist that you probably see coming if you've read the first four or five pages of the book. Uh, but just to give you a heads up, it it gets kind of interesting at the end. Um, not particularly my cup of tea. It's solidly written. Um, the art is fine. I just am not a fan of this type of horror story. And so I'm going to give this one three slices of meatloaf out of five. Uh, for those of you that have read the book, you're probably going, oh, Steven, that's a little bit too much, uh, calling a meatloaf slices. But yes, that's, uh, it's the mystery meat in the meatloaf that you have to be worried about. Um, I probably could go three and a half slices. I mean, it's not it's not bad. It's just not my cup of tea. And I think for many people who are into that kind of horror, uh, you'll probably eat this right up. So uh, go check it out. It's from Boom Studios this week. Eat the rich number one. Matthew, what do you got for us this week?
3: I got me one of them their comic books, Radiant Black. Number seven out today, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Marcello Costa. So I realized something as I was reading a previous issue of Radiant Black, I think with you. Uh yeah. Kyle Higgins is a guy who launched the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers franchise at Boom.
1: Yeah, he did a few years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, many years and ago. And I'm like, I
3: didn't I, I didn't realize
1: that. Now, Ryan Parrott does it all now, I think.
3: Yeah, Parrot and um I think there's another dude, uh, Sina Grace, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But here's the deal about Radiant Black. Radiant Black, the first four issues, seemed to go somewhere and then didn't. Radiant Black number five made a huge swerve that uh, Stephen and I both were kind of shocked and entertained by. And then Radiant Black number six... Made a very bold choice to jump out of sequence entirely and go back and tell us what happened with the villain of the first two issues and understanding how that villain got to where they are today. So, Radiant Black number seven actually picks up from the last page of Radiant Black number five. Now, if you read Radiant Black number five, you know that, uh, okay, spoilers coming here. So, uh, plug your ears and sing the Star Spangled Banner. It ended with the reveal of a pink Radiant and a yellow Radiant. And now all four of the Radiants, red, black, pink, and yellow, are being chased by a weird evil glow-in-the-dark ninja who has powers that rival their own. Interestingly, though all these characters have similar powers, they use them differently. And when working together, one of them can do things and the others can't necessarily do it, but they can all share the power if one of them is doing it. And I really appreciate that sort of lean to it. Here's the real steel deal. Okay. My name is Matthew and I am a particular breed of nerd. I like a meta textual story and I like it when the story does goofy things like, uh, casting Linda Carter and going nudge, nudge, wink, wink, or having you know, Supergirl's mother be played by the actress who played Supergirl in 1984. All of that stuff is wonderful for me. So, at the point that Radiant Black Number Seven dropped a whole slice of meatloaf for me, you have to understand exactly how weird and how above you know, just beyond the pale this is. Doing really well. Characters are fighting, 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 fighting. Teleport to Tokyo. They have their fight, they all run away, and two guys standing on the street corner look at each other and one of them says, which Sentai is that? <laughs> that right um, there. And I, I, it shouldn't, but it really did just grate right up against my spine, and it hurt me in a way that I can't understand. It's still on the nose. It, it it really is. And you know, it's, it's an anomaly, because this is a very solid issue. Because oh come on! I think reading,
1: that that's a joke that people have been waiting for for seven issues. So at some uh, point you've got to drop it, you've got to drop the joke and say yes we know what we're we know what you're all thinking.
3: You know I believe that anvils need to be dropped and I believe that dead horses need to be beaten and for me the rule of three is just the beginning. I am perfectly willing to drag a joke screaming through the mud, but for some reason that one threw me. In an issue that's, you know, mostly actually pretty good. It's not as solid as previous issues because the introduction of yellow and pink happened two issues ago. And most of this issue takes place without any real explication. So we're not getting more information. We're just kind of getting fights. You know, I'm fine with that. Comic books, they need some action. But I feel like by the end of this issue, one of the major conflicts is still right there. And still, kind of, you know, grading against the characters. Radiant Black and Radiant Red are not happy. And I really feel like the ending sort of comes out of nowhere. There's a, a sensation when you're reading a comic where you're like, oh, yeah, I've probably got another five pages of this stuff. And then it's like, boom, we're done. So, no, I would call that maybe a pacing issue. That said, I really love the art in this book. I really like the underlying premise. And I feel like. Much as I hate to say it, uh, it's going to read great in a trade. (sighs) So, Radiant Black, number seven, three slices of meatloaf. It's a solid comic. It's a good comic, and I can almost forgive them for the Super Sentai joke, and then I'm just going to sigh and, you know, move on.
1: All right, there we go. Uh, Rodrigo, you are wrapping up our reviews this week with a look at Norse Mythology 2, number three is what I'm guessing. That's the one that is out this week.
2: That's that's a total of five horse comics. Yeah, Norse Mythology, volume two, number three, um, of six, I believe, uh, written by Neil Gaiman and P. Craig Russell. Um, So this is uh, a comic book adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology. Book or series or something. Um, so again, always as always with this series, like be aware that this is being filtered through Neil Gaiman. Right, this isn't necessarily a uh, like a historiographically correct like mm-hmm. what 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 is the core of these tales? These are tales being retold by somebody. Um, so in this story. Uh it's about this one's actually about Thor and Loki which I think a lot of people when uh when they started reading Norse mythology were like where are Thor and Loki um this one actually features Thor and Loki um as opposed to their siblings half siblings uh parents and people that are made out of spit um <laughs> so in this story we have uh, Thor and Loki, and this other character who is, you know, part of the story. But it's funny because he's younger, and he kind of has a superpower, but not to the degree that they do. Um, so it it, it feels very much like kind of a Mary Sue character, or mm-hmm. you know, just like or like a kid sidekick
0: mm-hmm. character
2: that's like thrown in there to to. To be a stand-in for the audience mm-hmm. that way like thor and loki have to explain things and it's true it happens loki gets him to do something and it turns out to be bad and they thor gets in like runs into problems because of it so you know it's it's actually a pretty fun dynamic probably the my favorite part of this is uh they meet a giant the giant uh, helps them by holding something for them. Then they need it back, but the giant's asleep. So Thor tries to wake him up, and he can't. So he hits him as hard as he can with Mjolnir, and the giant like briefly wakes up and is like, "Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I think like a little tiny leaf fell on me, or like a tiny, like a the tiniest acorn maybe. Anyway, I'm gonna go back to sleep." All right? You don't see that a lot in, in definitely modern and other retellings of Thor. Like, here's a character who is just, like... Like, Mjolnir doesn't even factor into their, like, their cognizance. Um, the story takes us all the way to Jotunheim, um, which is where the giants hang out. So we'll see where it goes from here. Probably uh, they're going to get into some more trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, it, This is... It's fun, you know? Uh the the way that it's told it is told in that sort of folktale style which i really like and if you if any of you have read my book i like so much that i basically wrote a book in that style yep. um so i i really appreciate it i appreciate like it's when you're when you're doing folktales it's like almost better that things aren't really explained Or that things are just like, yep, and then this character, who was this character's child, showed up. And it's like, do we know who that father character is? No, but somebody does. Somebody somewhere does. And that's important. (laughs) It's important that this character is related to this other character, even though it's not relevant for this story, right? All of those things, all of these trappings, all of these things that feel like are part of that oral tradition are very good and very satisfying um i'll give it four slices of meatloaf um it's it's fun times really the the only issue that these tend to have is that they're kind of cut in weird ways the stories Mm. don't always Mm -hmm. seem to fit very well in the like what uh 24 page comic format like it feels like there needs to be sometimes more sometimes less um yeah that's that's really the only issue with them
1: I can see that. All right. So that is out uh, next week, the 25th uh, from mm-hmm. Dark Horse Comics. So be on the lookout for that, boys and girls. Get your Norse mythology fix. I- actually, I rather enjoyed um, Gaiman's uh, book that he wrote yeah. that tells these stories, which I'm guessing these are just the adaptations of that. So, I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely definitely worth uh, go checking out if you get the chance and if you are so inclined. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen, we have... A link in the show notes where you can purchase all of the issues that we have talked about uh, via the Comixology um, digital comic book service. Now, these are affiliate links. So if you do decide that you want to go and buy uh, Norse Mythology or you want to check out Radiant Black or Eat the Rich, you can click on that link that is in the show notes. That'll take you over to Comixology. You make your purchase. A little bit. And I mean, a very little bit comes back our way. But if that means that we can buy a few more pellets to feed the hamster so that we can keep the lights going for, you know, a few more hours, it is Rob greatly, greatly name. appreciated. No, he doesn't have a name. If Bob wants to have a name, he can learn to run a little faster so that we don't have to worry about, uh, do we have enough electricity to have Ashley on the show this week? So Bob, if that is your name, uh, get busy and dear listeners, if you want to make sure that Bob gets fed and doesn't starve to death. Then uh, you definitely should buy some uh, some comics through the Comicsology link, Bu- or buy some even better, or we kill this hamster. Even better, become a patron over at patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. All right, uh, it's back to school time, ladies and gentlemen. My kids are going back to school starting uh, today. If uh, you're listening on Wednesday, or last month, if you're listening a month from now, hello, future people. Uh, so this month we are taking a look at, or this week we're taking a look at. The Black Mage Volume 1 from Daniel Barnes and DJ Kirkland. This has been released from Oni Press. And this is a book that is aimed at uh, young audiences. And so I think that once you understand that this is a YA book, um, a lot of, I think, some of the things that they do make a lot more sense that you kind of have to hit people over the head uh, mm-hmm. with, with some of the messaging, which I think is fine. But this is a story about a, um, a boy, Tom Token who is black, who is a a magician, a mage, and he is invited to the Saint Ivory Academy, a big white tower floating above everything that is a historically white wizarding school and he is there because, you know, uh integration. Uh and he goes there and discovers something else that's going on. Also, hey, we get the ghosts of Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass, just call him Fred, and John John uh, Henry uh also make appearances. In this book as well. Uh, it is done in a very manga-esque style. Uh, there's a lot of references to the magical schoolgirl type stuff uh, in this piece. And uh, I'm curious, Rodrigo, what you thought of uh, The Black Mage?
2: Um, So... When I was first going through it, I had, I think, a similar reaction uh, to what you mentioned, Stephen, which is that I was like, a lot of this stuff is really on the nose, right? Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. Like,
1: like Tom Tokens got a uh, familiar, it's a, it's a, it's a black crow and he calls him Jim.
2: Named Jim, yeah. Uh, the, that one actually, that one actually does bug me because it's like, it's not something like, for example, the, the headmaster of the school's last name is Lynch, right? Oh, Mm -hmm. Okay. God, that, 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 that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I'm like, why would the why would a friend of the main character be named Jim Crow? That doesn't make sense. Right. right. But anyway, aside from that, yes. I mean, this this comic is really on the nose with its imagery, um, and at first, I was like, well, where's the fun in that? But then I realized that you know people watch and read material that is clearly meant to be allegorical mm-hmm. for race relations for same-sex marriage for all this other stuff and it, they just don't get it right it right. just flies completely over them they don't see the metaphor uh no matter how uh, elegantly the the author points at it so i'm like you know what i i think this is this is good what i really like about it um, is that by really just having uh, regular old racism be part of this universe, um it uh kind of grounds it, but also um it's it's not like i it, it also doesn't give you an out, right? We read a, a comic a long time ago where, uh, only black people were superheroes or only black people had superpowers. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what the book was called, but in that book, it turns out kind of that, like that anti-black racism comes from like a specific person and an organization that are doing it for a specific reason. And to me that really deflated it because. The the original origins of racism, the real history of racism, is bad enough. You don't need to give it to a supervillain. Mm-hmm. Um, because the idea that you can fix it by just punching someone in the face hard enough is is weird, right? And I'm not saying that doesn't necessarily where that comic was going. That was just set up in the first volume that we
1: read. Yeah, that was this black. One, black is the comic you're thinking of.
2: Yeah. So in this one, racism is just racism. You can't fix it uh, except by like the work that you do by like the privilege that you have and putting it towards that. Right. Which is the only way to really fix racism in any given organization or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I appreciated that aspect of it. Yeah.
1: I, at first I was kind of taken aback by, wow, you really are hitting people over the head with this messaging where, you know, all of the wizards, uh, including the, the headmaster, who's the grand wizard, get it. Uh, Mm -hmm. they're all wearing KKK Mm -hmm. outfits. Uh, you know, uh, and, you know, the Jim Crow as, as the crow and these kind of things. I was like, wow, this is really in your face. But then I'm realizing, yeah, like you said, Rodrigo, young kids, younger audiences probably don't get this. In fact, I was doing a rewatch of Lovecraft Country, uh, the other day, uh, Misha Green's, uh, great HBO series adaptation of the, Matt uh, Matt's, Matt's mm, I forget his last name, Matt Stone, Not, maybe it's Matt Stone, uh, book. And in the very first episode, they go into a diner and the three black characters have to run because the people in the town come after them with guns and are chasing them down the street and shoot them at him. And the person I was watching it with was like, why are they shooting at them? And I was like, welcome to racism in the 1950s. uh, Some of this stuff is still around today uh, and had to explain some of the uh, horrible history of, of our own city in which we're living. And, and they were like, Oh, I did, I did not realize this stuff. So I think that in, in some cases, especially for younger readers, who I, I don't I'll ask Matthew and, and Rodrigo this in a moment. I'm not sure who the target audience is, uh, mm-hmm. because if your target audience are people of color, I think they get that stuff. Right. So I don't know if this is targeted towards a uh, lighter complected audience who may not who may just go around the world going, oh, everything's fine with the world. There's no racism. Racism doesn't exist. And that they need to be hit over the head. With this, so I'm curious, Rodrigo. Who do you think the target audience is? Now, the the character, the creators of this series, are um, both people of color, uh, yeah. so th- that's where they're coming from on this.
2: Yeah, I think um, I would imagine that the intended audience is young black people, um, with like just a bonus if young white people also mm, latch mm-hmm. onto it because yeah, and
1: I, yeah, I guess I, the good I, thing is because the you know, the uh, uh, Tom token wins in the end and defeats uh mean old whitey.
2: Yeah. But, but it's more than that. I think that what this comic is actually doing is, um, it's kind of, uh, like fortifying the experience of marginalized people. It's mm-hmm. saying people do try to gaslight you. Like, People do try to, people do racist things and then turn around and they have an excuse for it. Or people make decisions based on race and then they turn around and they uh, find reasons for that later. And it is, and, and the fact that you feel like you're being discriminated is correct. You are being discriminated. This is real, no matter how much people try to deny that it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I, and so I kind of like that it was done in this cartoony style to attract readers and then has a message that does have to hit hard over your head, ham fisted. Some people might say, uh, to drive the, drive the points home. And so from that aspect, I thought that the, that the volume for me succeeded. Now, Matthew, I don't know what you thought of, of, uh, the black mage.
3: I was profoundly uncomfortable. Um, uh, and I actually had an experience that, I'll have every once in a while when I'm reading something and I'm like, okay, before I go any further, I need to look up the author and I need to find out whether this is, for lack of a better word, whether this is okay. Because if I went and I came into this book thinking that it was written by people of color as an explanation or, you know, as a part of an experience that they had been through, I'm fine with it but if this was not, you know, if this was somebody trying to impart these bits and pieces, the joke about, you know, Lynch and the ghost of Harriet Tubman and the moment where I realize yes that character is in fact named Jim Crow, I feel like it would have been an entirely different matter. And I feel like the difference is really one of uh I think t- Reading it and knowing who the creators are makes it feel like not just, you know, a parody, but also something that's trying to educate me. And so when I felt profoundly uncomfortable, that's by design. And that's actually good, you know, because I really went into this feeling like I don't need another Harry Potter story. I don't need another chosen one. I don't need what the solicitation made me think I was getting but then I got what I actually got out of it and I went huh I didn't realize that I needed that but I guess I kind of did and I really appreciated that but I also read it at recently uh, I found a really great show on HBO max and this is totally totally related it's called a black lady sketch show where the entire creative team the entire cast the entire writing room is women of color Mm -hmm. And I watch the show and there are, you know, bits and pieces and there's these really neat things where I feel like I'm almost getting a glimpse into a completely different culture that's fascinating. And then I sit and I laugh and then, you know, a character just casually N-words and I'm like, am I allowed to laugh at this anymore? And that is an important experience for me as, you know, your general old white guy to have. Because a lot of times I feel like people go in and, you know, don't realize who is uncomfortable reading your stories. And you can read these stories or you can read, you know, just a general comic book. You can look at, you know, the Avengers movie, the one woman, one man of color, and then everybody else is a bunch of, you know, general European guys. And you can say... How many people went into that movie and felt uncomfortable watching that movie just based on you know the context or the subtext, whatever you want to call it of what's going on here? So I feel like on the one hand, I'm probably not going to read this story again, but I'm also glad that I did, and I feel like if you know we do come up with a sequel or if we come up with something I think where there's we see I think there is a thought, second
1: I think there is a second volume.
3: See, I'd be willing to read that, but i I also you know we'll go into it with the same kind of cautious. Hey, where am I? You know, where am I coming into this? How am I supposed to take away from this? Because first of all, I like when I have to think I like when something in my, my stories makes me consider, wait a minute, what the hell have I been doing or what the hell have these other stories been doing? Or, you know, in this case where I was looking at it and I was like, man, Some of the stuff in Harry Potter is just never going to read the same for me. Well, no, especially if you find out what the, uh,
1: what the, uh, what the author's all about. Uh, I'm sorry. This is uh, a book one. This is book one of one. So there's, there's no sequel to this. I'm curious, Matthew, Uh, why, why you would never read this again?
3: Because I feel like, uh, first of all, as you guys noticed, it is primarily aimed at younger readers. And I feel like while I appreciate what it is saying, and I have no problem with what it was saying, I don't feel like it's a book that I'm going to keep coming back to and coming back to and coming back to, partly because of the fact that it is aimed at much younger readers than me, and partly because once you've gotten through this and once you've had you know that particular anvil dropped, you don't want to follow it up with the same thing. You need to go and investigate deeper. You need to go and look at something you know, I think with more, more depth and more real world expectations, if that makes sense, rather than, you know, a story like this that is literally designed to make you go, oh, my God, I never even thought about that. You know, when it comes to your young adult fiction. or Yeah, but your, your isn't that what you
1: want in this stories. book, though, is, is to make people say, I never thought yes. about that. And, and now you're saying I don't want you don't want to read it again. Is it because it doesn't make you comfortable? Is that what it is? I, I guess I'm still not wholly clear on, on why you're, you're not interested in reading this again, besides that it's, it's outside your age demographic.
3: I feel like if I were going to go back, I would not read this again. I would go in depth into something else. I would try and find that next step down or step up, depending on how, you know, you're defining it. That next story that would be able to explore these same sort of things. I'm not going to have that same experience reading this a second time. Where I get to the end of chapter one and I'm like, oh, I'm profoundly uncomfortable. That's not going to happen again. So what else I mean, can I read that has that same effect?
1: Oh, yeah, there's there's plenty. Of, the, the nice thing is that as publishers are starting to uh, realize that they have an audience outside of, you know, 35 to 65 year old white men, uh, we do have a lot more like Rodrigo mentioned black earlier. Uh, we do have a lot more stuff that that gives that perspective. Now, Matt Ruff, who did do Lovecraft Country, he he is a white person. Uh, but Misha Green, who did the adaptation for H- HBO, she did a fantastic job of, of that. Um, but yeah, there is a lot of other stuff that will explore these issues. I think that there is some repeat readability in here, for, at least from my standpoint, because as you read through it, and you're like, well, that seems heavy-handed, and that seems this, and this seems this. I think even as a... Uh, a second read through or a third read through or however many times you might want to read this in the future, it might be another, a a great place to just kind of reground yourself. You know, Oh, did I, did I, you know, stray too far? Did I suddenly realize that I'm starting to do all the things that I didn't think I was doing again or reading this and going, Oh, I hadn't. Now I'm looking at this, knowing what's happening next. I can be a little bit more critical in this section to see if there's any other meaning that can be gathered uh, from this comic. So I think that there's some readability in here. I think this is, Definitely, uh, young, I like the target audience in the, the young readers. And now it says young adult or it's YA. So young adult is what, uh, 10 to 14. And I think that's probably a, a good age, although I, you could probably give it to a, to an eight year old and they wouldn't have a problem with this either. Um, but yeah, I, I, I rather enjoyed this and I think that there is a lot of rereadability to this. Uh, I know a lot of people re reread the Harry Potter books again and again and again because it's like, oh, I just like the story and I want to go and explore these different themes that I that I didn't pick up on the first time. So um I may disagree with you there, Matthew. I think that the for me I think there's some re rereadability in here, some other enjoyment that can be done, especially on the art side, Rodrigo. I- I'm curious what you thought about the the heavily manga influenced art in this.
2: Yeah, I I enjoyed it. Um It's uh, it's it's interesting. There are a lot of um, mostly there are a lot of sort of verbal references, like pop culture references, mainly Mm -hmm. to like video games. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think uh, at some point somebody pulls out like Sailor Moon's wand or something. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, So uh, it's it's. It was interesting to kind of see these characters and then see like visual references as well. Uh not to mention that it, the artist does a pretty good job of uh of communicating uh, Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass uh-huh. who are, you know, real people. Yeah. Um, as, you know, sort of a, a more stylized cartoon versions of themselves.
1: So I, wanna, it, I, wanna, I, I want to, I want to, I want another, I want another volume of this just so I can see the further adventures of Harriet Tubman and, uh, Frederick Douglass and, uh, John Henry. As,
2: as, as wizards, as, right? as, as wizards, yeah. as real
1: people. Yeah. I, I was just like, when I first started reading the book and I was into this uh, stuff that was taking place, uh, you know, during the pre-Civil War, I was like, oh yeah, I'm down for this. If that's what this whole book is set during, you know, the 1800s, the, uh. You know, the 1840s through the, through the sixties, I totally would read a whole volume of Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman taking on the, uh, the clan. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing that I, that I, that I worry that happens when you do put in pop culture references, uh, like are scattered throughout here is, does that stuff age? And that may be to the point, Matthew, where you're saying maybe it's not rereadable in the future what happens when people are not aware of some of these pop culture influences? Now I'm I'm not saying that sailor moon will ever fall out of public awareness, but it might. And so I'm, I'm curious at how many people would look at this and go, I don't get it.
3: Yeah. And that is, you know, that is something that you kind of have to take into account when you're looking at any type of story, but when you're specifically looking at a story that's trying to make, you know, a point with real world consequences is I always worry that something is, you know, somehow demeaning that, you know, say taking a character like Harriet Tubman or, you know, a real world figure like Frederick Douglass and saying, and now they're wizards, does that, you know, does that really serve what they did in real life? And that's a difficult, you know, road to hoe, but you're also kind of trying to do the yeah as ben stiller said in reality bites you've got these kids and you got to you got to feed them the meatloaf and sometimes you have to go oh look it's an airplane but i don't know i definitely agree with you i wonder about some of these pop culture references especially the ones that i didn't get um because again you know because i'm you're old. Totally, <laughs> i'm hip i'm with it you know today i went to the mcdonald's i got me a Saweetie meal I came home and I'm like, well, eat me my Saweetie meal. Yeah, what's, what's and the
1: special thing on that one? Because I'm not, I, I, I looked at it the other day and I was like, I don't understand what makes this, uh, special. It's just, a.
3: <laughs> Apparently Saweetie, uh, the rapper, uh, co-branded with them. Oh, this is like that,
1: own, uh, it's like that one, uh, McRib yeah, meal or whatever it was. Like a oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Okay. Where you, you get like her special. Sorry, sweet we, and sour we diverged.
1: Sauce. Let's bring it back around.
3: Let's But but we're still here. You know, we're doing that same thing. Culturally speaking. Is it something that's going to last? Are you going to, in five years, look at this and go, uh, "What in the hell is Rick and Morty Szechuan sauce?" Yeah. yeah and yeah. so you know, you you do at least I do always wonder whether when you whether you take real world events and you put them in this fantastical setting, are you doing the real world events a disservice?
1: Yeah, and I think I think that is a, so. I think if you're going to use pop culture references. You have, to use, you have to use the things that are like the biggest thing, right? You can't put in some sly reference to something that ha- happened on page 27 of a book that only sold 200 copies and expect well, a lot of people to really get it, right? You so, can,
3: but it's just going to be there for the diehards.
1: Right, but so in order for it to work and to last, that's what I was getting to is the lasting part. You kind of have to use the big stuff, right? You do have to use the the Sailor Moons and the Harry Potters and, you know, those kinds of things so that when they do pop up, people are like, oh yeah, I get this. Yeah. I, I know something about it. Um, so yeah, something to, something to think about. What's what's the bottom line for you, Matthew on, on this, on this book, Uh, the black
3: bottom line for me is definitely check it out. Even if you don't want to buy it, you should give it a read, you know, and as I think somebody, who is in a particular demographic that needs to read this book, if you, like me, are, you know, an old white guy or somebody who feels like, maybe I don't necessarily understand what it's like to be a person of color, or maybe I'd like to feel like I understand more, I won't say that this is a book that's going to make you feel like you understand, but it's definitely an entertaining way To get a little closer to it, if that makes sense.
1: You know, it's too bad that uh, so many people don't allow um, discussions of race in their schools anymore because this might be a great way to bring up some kind of discussion in a classroom of kids that are, you know, uh, are open-minded and willing to explore ideas and use this as a launching point into something else. Uh,
2: yeah, I, I, it's almost like the establishment has been <laughs> infiltrated by an organization that doesn't want that to be the case. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> I wonder who they could be. Um, mm. I think they also have old in their name, Matthew. Uh, here's the thing. I, I, I really enjoyed this book. Uh, at first, like Matthew, when you find out that the, the character's name is Token and you're like, oh, is this where this is going? And then the the, the crow's name is Jim. I kind of also had to do a double take and, and, reread the inside front cover and go, Oh yeah. Okay. I, I see where they're going on this. This is totally intentional and not some kind of, of really poor, you know, poor, uh, poor taste, uh, item. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed this book. I thought it was good. I thought it had a lot of good messages. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the ending. Um, I, I, like I said, I would, I would love to read Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass taking on the, the wizards. Uh, that would be, that would be fantastic. I really think that this is a must read book. Um, I don't know if it's a must buy book. I, I'm certainly the creators would like us to say it's a must buy book. In fact, if you want to buy it, there's a, uh, Amazon affiliate link in the show notes that you can use to buy the book and a little bit goes to them. A little bit comes to us. And I'm sure Oni press gets, a uh, gets to wet their beak as well. So I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I think for some people that are like racism doesn't exist, read this and see if maybe, uh, the messaging doesn't, uh, come at you a little differently for you to, to see perspective and understanding. So that's, that's my take on this uh Rodrigo what about you
2: um we've had there there have been a lot of discussions of what critical race theory is Mm -hmm. um recently uh again because there are people who don't want this sort of thing discussed because it makes them look bad on account of their huge races and are in control of stuff Mm -hmm. um this uh, so c- with critical race theory, you, when discussing things in an academic setting, you need to make certain assumptions, right? Like when you, when you talk about fluid dynamics, you need to make all the previous assumptions of physics and um, everything else that goes into it. Nobody comes in and questions how like a specific thing works. You just kind of have to start from there and that allows you to discuss a more complex topic, right? This comic does that. This comic just comes in with the assumption that racism is real, that uh the protagonist has had multiple uh and and possibly constant contact with it um and it makes them guarded and it makes um um you know it gives them an ad like a specific attitude and it's an attitude that you might see on other people and mm-hmm. this is a comic that tells you why. Some people have that attitude and why, you know, sometimes when you try to help, you're actually really definitely not helping. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, again, it just just the fact that it starts from there, that it spends zero time justifying that uh, yeah. co- like institutional racism is a thing. Right. That that makes it valuable. Uh, so I would say if you can give it a read, definitely, at least from that perspective, Um uh, at the very least, find it at your library and check it out. Yeah.
1: Yep. All right. Uh, that wraps it up for this week's show. Next week, oh man, um, I think we're going to be dialing the dialing everything back a little bit because next week it's Mandrake the Magician, and <laughs> uh, oh boy, Those, these are the original newspaper comic strips. So we'll see oh. how we'll oh. see how we'll see how that plays out uh, next week on the major spoilers podcast. But in the meantime, that's where we're going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for being part of the major spoilers experience.
3: As always, we love your feedback. We want your feedback. So you can join the rest of the cool kids at the major spoilers discord server to share your thoughts and reactions to the episode, or even better, you can drop us an email at podcast at major spoilers.com. And you might be able to hear your words in an upcoming episode.
2: And don't forget, you can support the show and everything we do by becoming a patron at com slash major spoilers.
1: And we will be back next week because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Take care.
0: what a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm stark raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline would I really even need To read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Being in the Middle East With a king, Santo throwing soldier what a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. Wow, wow, wow. What a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright
1: 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.